0: I literally, I, I, I just did my first read of it, and I finished *A Court of Silver Flames* last week, and mm-hmm. I'm rereading the entire series again I, no. for the pod, same. which is
1: appropriate
0: and exactly what needs
1: to be happening. Yes. So I'm pleased. I'm I, same. I like I finished, and then we were like, so we definitely want to do this for our next pod series, and I was like, all right, sweet, let's go back to book number one. Let's do it again. <laughs> Hi, I'm Melissa, and I'm Gwen,
0: and this is Tea and Squeam. <laughs> this is the podcast where we spill the tea about the things that make us squee. We're beginning our annual autumnal fantasy series podcast takeover. Last year, you got Twilight. This yes. year, you are getting the A Court of Thorns and Roses series by Sarah J. Moss. Boop, 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 boop. Do you pronounce it? Do you pronounce it
1: Moss? Do you pronounce it Mass? How do you how do you pronounce J. it? Sarah J. Mass, I think. I think I okay. flip back and forth, unfortunately. Uh-huh. It's like most of the names have... in this novel, I flip back and forth on the pronunciation Same. too.
0: Same. <laughs> Not going to be
1: consistent.
0: So today we are starting our discussion on the first novel. We're going to do what we consider to be the first third of it, the first major yes. chunk of the novel. It should go without saying that so we are going to have some spoilerific discussions oh, yeah. on this novel uh, and on the subsequent novels in this series. So if you haven't read the series... Um, go read this, that first. <laughs> yeah, go read them first. I'll, you know, we've got five books out. Mm-hmm. Go read them first. Yeah. Uh, and then come back and Listen, I guarantee that by the time you're done with all five, we'll still be recording episodes about this book series because if we're going to have to split all of the books up like this, yeah, it's going to be like January or February by the time we finish, this podcast is going to just become an ACOTAR podcast by the end of this.
1: Yeah, honestly, and I'm not mad about that. No, me neither. It's my honestly. This... hyperfixation. I really yeah. don't want to think about anything else right now, if I'm I, being honest. I have
0: not hyperfixated on a series like this since I was in high school and I read the Harry Potter books for the first time.
1: This reminds yeah. me of a healthier version of my Twilight hyperfixation in middle school. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the healthy mm-hmm. version of it, which I'm really here for, quite frankly. Like, I couldn't this... do that again. This and Dungeons and
0: Dragons got me fully back into my middle school fairy obsession. Yeah. So anyway, let's (laughs) talk about this book. So today we're talking about A Court of Thorns and Roses. It's the title of the series, but it's also the title of the first book. Mm -hmm. It's written by Sarah J. Moss, and this first book was published in 2015 Mm -hmm. as a young adult fantasy romance novel.
1: I always forget the first one's young adult. Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm and
0: the thing is that like it it reads like young adult it does the the language and the like pacing and everything are mature yep but there's a lot of things fading to black there's a lot of not enough swearing there's mm mature and graphic things are discussed in this novel but it doesn't get nearly as dark and as graphic and as sexual and just everything that we get in the subsequent novels and the subsequent novels just keep getting more and more and more explicit and mature
1: and i love it Mm -hmm. i love new adult
0: (laughs) yes i also (laughs) love new adults um and this one is right on the other side of the line of new adults there's like that very thin line between ya and na yeah and this is, it's a cuss, baby. It's it's got like
1: one foot standing on the line, yeah. <laughs> and then one foot <laughs> over, it's like it's like the like the four corners of like the states and stuff where you can put a like a limb in each corner. Yes, and be in a different state. That's it, it. It's it's <laughs>
0: straddling the line. This book opens with our main character Feyra. Mm-hmm. She's a young huntress in the woods, looking to catch game to feed her starving family. We get some basic world building, you know, Feyre's from a small, poor village just south of the wall that separates the human realm from the Fey realm. Mm -hmm. Humans are terrified of fairies who are superior in speed, strength, and Feyre believes, savagery. Mm -hmm. Feyre sees a horse-sized wolf and thinks that it may be a fairy, and she also sees a doe that could feed her family for weeks. So... She shoots the wolf, both out of fear that it's a fairy and fear of it attacking the doe and her mm-hmm. losing the game. And then she shoots the doe, she skins the wolf, and carries the pelt of the wolf and the doe home to her family. There, There's a lot that I'm going to point out throughout this entire, entire novel, so excuse me while I go on long-winded rants. Um... <laughs> So, Pharaoh regards the Doe as being, quote, such salvation. And mm-hmm. she's right. This hunt will be her salvation. But it's not going to be the way that she thinks. Yeah, Her expectations are going to be flipped on their head in so, so, so many ways. This is also the first of many occurrences where we see similar things happening. So, the Ooh, yeah. the first thing is that this is the first depiction of death in this series. And mm-hmm. it is a, a graphic and brutal yeah, it's death. nasty. Sarah J. Moss does not shy away from mm-hmm. depictions of blood and violence and gore in this novel. And by setting this up, literally the the depiction of this death happens on page seven. We are less than ten pages into this novel and we already have a horrific death scene. Yeah. And it's just it, her setting up that this is what you're going to get in this series. The series is not going to be a fun little cute no. fairy romp. Like, th- this is going to get kind of dark. It's and violent brutal. as fuck. Mm-hmm. Everything's and it's so just, violent. It's just that in this case, after listening to Feyre talk for, like, two or three pages about how violent and dangerous the Fey are, it's Feyre who commits the yeah. first act of brutality in this series.
1: Well, I think it's just so interesting, like rereading this again for the, like the fourth time like Feyre is a very different character at the beginning of this book like there's a lot of mm-hmm. hate in her heart and she was like yeah you know maybe it is just a wolf but you know what if it is a fay, good fuck them they have it coming anyway so mm-hmm. I'ma just fucking kill the doe.
0: there's one more thing about this beginning Chapter that I want us to talk about Because I feel like no one ever talks about it And it bothers me That no one ever talks about this That Feyre not only Kills Andres Who is the wolf Mm -hmm. She also Skins him Yeah, Like This is a high Fey male Mm -hmm. He is a humanoid Man who she Skins After murdering him. And like admittedly. She doesn't know any better. She suspects he might be Fae. But it's a wolf. She doesn't know any better. Yep. But like I can't get the idea. And I'm sure that Tamlin and Lucian. Can't get the idea or the image out of their head. Mm -hmm. Either of the humanoid Fae. That they know and love. Being skinned by fae
1: by a human and, I mean, girl, no less.
0: Yeah, and she, she has that nightmare a few chapters later yeah. about her skinning a human, or like a, a human-shaped body. But it's just so it's so upsetting Ugh. to
1: me. It adds so, so much more brutality it to it. It's such a gory description, too. Once again, mm-hmm. she doesn't hold back on the gore of it all. Like, she's very much like, okay, the first thing your main protagonist does in this book is literally kill a fairy even if it is a fairy disguised as a wolf. And then she skins him for his pals. And like, I know it's gonna feed her family, but like, oh my God, Pharaoh. On page
0: eight, though it wasted precious minutes, minutes during which any predator could smell the fresh blood, I skinned him and cleaned my arrows as best I could. If anything, it warmed my hands. I wrapped the bloody side of his pelt around the doe's death wound before I hoisted her across my shoulders. It was several miles back to our cottage and I didn't need a trail of blood leading every animal with fangs and claws straight to me. Grunting against the weight, I grasped the legs of the deer and spared a final glance at the steaming carcass of the wolf. His remaining golden eye now stared at the snow-heavy sky and for a moment I wished I had it in me to feel remorse for the dead thing.
1: Oh my god. Yeah. She has so much hate. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. She was ruthless. But I can't blame her partially, though.
0: No. And I honestly kind of like that SJM doesn't shy away from showing us this Mm -hmm. side of Feyre immediately. I think it's important. It's like, this is who you're getting. Yeah, This is the narrator you get. This is the main character you get. Deal with it or put the book
1: down. Yep. She's ruthless, but like, she's literally, she's like, well, I need to cover the doe's wound. And also, mm-hmm. this pelt could do me really well at the marketplace. Like, I can get food for my family. That's my mm-hmm. main incentive. She mentions
0: the carcass looking at her with a golden eye. Oh. And who else has a golden eye? Ah! Lucian, who was Andres's equal in the spring court. It's so poignant to me. It is. That both... That Andres's dead, like Andres's corpse stares at her with a golden eye, and then she remarks constantly about Lucian's golden eye regarding her. Yep. When she's in the Spring Court. I also think that this murdering him and then taking a physical, uh, a piece of his physicality, is a uh, sort of twisted mirror of something that we learn about in the next book which is that Tamlin's father murdered and then took the wings of Rhysand's mother and sister. Mm -hmm. And it's just interesting that Feyre does this to one of Tamlin's quote unquote family members or like one of the members of his court that he was close to when he and his family did it to her mate's
1: mother and sister. I like those parallels though.
0: Mm -hmm. And listen, I mean, there's a there's a lot of debate about whether SJM is really, really great at foreshadowing and like, you know, laying breadcrumbs for us to follow. Or if she is just a really skilled writer who looks back in her books and goes, oh, I can make a parallel there or, oh, that's right. I could make this character be from there because I've mentioned Mm -hmm. that place previously. And I don't care which one. Yeah, I think it could be a mix of
1: both, honestly. Yeah. I'm gonna read too deeply into it because it makes it more fun for me. Well, I love it, and that's why her books are so fun to analyze. Like, yes, these are, like, fantasy, young adult, new adult novels, but, like, with the way she does foreshadowing so, like, so artfully, you can, like, Mm -hmm. reread it several times and, like, get something differently with each read. Exactly. And it's so cool. And also just something, this part of the book is always, like, a blur to me because we only stay in the human realm for the first four chapters of the novel which I feel like is kind of the perfect amount of time for us to understand Feyre's, like, average human life before jumping Mm -hmm. into the fairy realm. And then also we get, like, her POV. We understand the magnitude of her sacrifice later on and, like, why this means so much to her. But I'm Mm -hmm. also like, damn, we really barely here. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) So Feyre gets back to the cottage and her family shows no gratitude for her providing for them. Um, her sisters are very needy and greedy. She comments on how they're going to be fighting over whatever money she earns from the dough and the wolves pelt at the marketplace. And her dad is really only able to carve little wood figure figurines and he dotes on the middle sister, Elaine. So is the youngest out of her sisters. Mm-hmm. It's Nesta's the oldest, Elaine's the middle, and then Feyre's youngest child mm-hmm. she's um, 19 and has yeah. been
0: providing for her family since she was 14 yeah I think. yes because they lost the fortune when she was 11 mm-hmm. their savings lasted three years and then she started yep. hunting at 14 so for five years she's been the sole provider of her family yeah. as the
1: youngest person in it man does that fuck her up <laughs> they were rich her father was called the prince of merchants and she says that he, uh, deal goes wrong basically Mm -hmm. and he gambles their entire fortune away and then later people come in and they bash his knee in so he is completely unable to provide for them besides carving these little wooden figurines which people don't really buy in the first place anyways so he's pretty much useless. I I noticed while I was
0: reading uh that Feyre never refers to her dad as Father, mm-hmm. she refers to him as our father or my father, yeah. and I think there's a reason for that, mm-hmm. and it's because he's basically useless, and she pretty he's... much had to step up and be the like man of the house, yeah. basically,
1: you know, yeah. Like we talk about like traditional masculine and feminine traits. In characters mm-hmm. and Feyre had to shoulder all the masculine traits basically like that's why her sisters aren't willing to pick up anything mm-hmm. any slack is because they're they are so deep in their feminine traits like mm-hmm. they don't want to get their nails dirty they don't want to kill something yada 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 they mm-hmm. there's they're not willing to help her out at all so she's like lit all right I guess I'll just sink into the masculine role here well and then we
0: see that masculine role extended while she is in Prithian because mm-hmm. She refuses to wear dresses. Yeah. Instead, she dresses like Lucian. She yeah. Wears, she, she wears the clothes of a soldier or a warrior like Lucian does mm-hmm. because she doesn't feel comfortable in a dress. She isn't comfortable. She doesn't feel safe enough to embrace the femininity that yep. she had to give up in order to provide for her family.
1: Yep. And also something to note is the reason that Feyre is the sole provider to her family is because when her mother was on her deathbed, she made Feyre, like, vow to take care of her family. And that mm-hmm. guilt has been riding on Feyre's shoulders ever since. hmm I
0: want to talk about this promise a little bit. Yeah. Because Feyre makes comment that, like, they don't have faith. They don't have religion. Any gods that used to be worshipped by the humans have been long since forgotten. And promises are basically the only sacred thing that there is anymore. Yeah. I don't understand why the promises extend into death. Why does Favour keep this promise to her dead mother? Maybe I can excuse that and be like, well, you know, because that she still made a promise. And yeah. she's still alive, so that's sacred to her. But then I... I'm curious to analyze how Feyre treats promises in the future in this series. Like, does she end up at a point where promises are still that sacred to her? Or does she let go of it a little bit as she begins to believe in other greater powers like the mother and the cauldron, stuff like that?
1: That's interesting. I almost feel like the bargains she makes further on in this novel and then in this series, like, almost, like are more important than this vow she made to her mother. Like, they have Mm -hmm. much more heightened consequence if not followed through. Like, Mm -hmm. who? I think she's like, oh, well, if I don't, you know, if I break my mother's promise, like, maybe a part of her, like, knew no one else would be willing to step up. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, oh, well, I guess I'm just gonna do this because, like, I guess I gotta survive too. And then, but then in the next novel, when, like, Tamlin wants to break her bargain with Breesan, she's like, no, that's a bargain. Like, mm-hmm. I have to go. She she
0: goes from promising to bargaining. And those things probably feel different to her. I'm sure they definitely do. We we <laughs> learn more and more about Mother Archeron than throughout the series. But I hate her from the first moment. She's horrid. Who, who makes their eight-year-old promise to take care of of their entire family.
1: Yeah, what the fuck? You have a husband. Her dad wasn't out of debt at that point.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He should be the one providing for his family. Why is it her job?
0: You raised Nesta to marry a prince. Yeah. Make it her responsibility.
1: Honestly, I feel like Nesta had more training at that point. I feel like she could have gotten a really rich husband Uh uh-huh. quicker than Feyre learned how to hunt, because we know mm-hmm. Nesta's like super talented at that front. It's ridiculous. So I don't understand. And I also think, like, this vow becomes her personality mm-hmm. and forces her into an unselfish point of view compared to her sisters. Like, Elaine has her gardening still. And, like, Nesta and Elaine have maintained, like, so much of their wealthy status, like, mentally.
0: And mm-hmm. Feyre just,
1: like, completely brushed it all to the side. She is burdening the entire, like, mental load of their poverty, that her and her family are facing because she's the one who gets yelled at if she brings no food home. It's her Mm -hmm. fault if she doesn't bring food or money into this family. And Mm -hmm. her sisters just get to like not be oblivious, but like they kind of get that like luxury of not having to worry about it all. They just get to pit it all on her. It's really frustrating because it
0: doesn't make Feyre a selfless person. It makes Feyre a person who believes she doesn't deserve anything. Yeah. Like it's not her being like out of the goodness of my heart I want to take care of people. Yeah. It's her thinking other people deserve to be cared for more than I do. Yeah. Because I'm capable of providing, I need to provide. It doesn't yep. matter what I want. Cuz she still has selfish thoughts. She still has things that she wants that oh, she yeah. wishes her the rest of her family weren't around for. She has lots of things about people that annoy her that she wishes people would just go away. But she swallows all of that. And yeah. it's just like, she's like, everything I, can't I do think is this. for everyone else. Yep. Mm-hmm. She's like,
1: I can't think this way. That's a selfish thought. Bye bye, selfish thought. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, also, that's a lot of, that's a lot of self-control to do that. It's really hard to push away your selfish thoughts like that and be like, well, oh, well, Back to the mind it goes.
0: Feyre mentions during this chapter in their house that she regrets not having had white paint for the bluebells that she painted on the dining room table, saying that it was a shame to make, quote, something so flawed and lasting. Guess what else is flawed and lasting at the end of the book, (laughs) Feyre?
1: (laughs) It's like she's looking in a mirror. you right you right i also think it's interesting because later on in the book tamlin asks Feyre what will make her happy and he brings up those bluebells again as an interesting tie back to Feyre's life which she wants to go back to once she gets into prithian
0: i also just want to read a quote that we get at the end of this chapter Feyre's father tells Feyre quote we need hope as much as we need bread and meat We need hope or else we cannot endure. So let her keep this hope, Feyre. Let her imagine a better life, a better world. I think it's a fascinating quote. Feyre doesn't believe him. I'm interested to see if she ever does. So the next day, Feyre goes to the market to sell the skins of both the doe and the wolf. She and her sisters meet a child of the blessed, uh, a member of a fairy worshiping cult, and they're disgusted by her. Feyre sells the pelts to a mercenary who tells her a bit about fighting fairies um it's interesting to me how closely the children of the blessed match the description of the high priestesses of prithian pharah talks about the boy in the village that she uh is basically like friends with benefits with (laughs) and she she talks about how he's self-pitying and he's constantly complaining about being overburdened oh my god
1: tampon is that you
0: and Reese. Oh, you it's right. Both of them. You right. It's both of
1: them. Fabra has a type.
0: She loves she's the broody like man. She likes self-pitying,
1: overburdened brooding she, men. She's like, mm, if they're broody, sign me up. It's so funny. Uh, she, she knew from the get go what she wanted in a man. Pop mm-hmm. off my girl. <laughs> um so that night the door to their cottage is broken down by a beast demanding retribution for the murder of his friend, the wolf um he says that Fayra must come with him to prithian the Fey realm and live out her days there in accordance with a treaty signed by the fae and humans 500 years ago a life for a life as he says um it's basically that or he's like you can just go outside and i can just rip you to shreds and she agrees to go in order to save her family and maybe herself but she does make she does say like, if she was in the woods, she would have let him tear her throat out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, Pharaoh! do you hate your life that much? That's really sad. <laughs>
0: she also says, quote, I wonder how how they'd feel on my throat talking about his fangs. And it's like, girl, you gonna find you're out. You're gonna know. You're gonna know and how they feel chapters. on your throat,
1: And you're gonna like it. You're gonna really <laughs> like it. And <In> the <laughs> massive hickey they leave. <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> so...
0: I am convinced that this whole this whole bit is just Tamlin so putting much. on a show. It like, must we, be. We know that he didn't want Andras to die. No. You know, he is truly grieving. That was his friend. He doesn't like Feyre, no. but he's laying it on real thick. He bursts through the jo- through the door. <laughs> so and, dramatic. As the creature reared onto its hind legs and bellowed through a maw full of fangs. MURDERERS! The beast roared again, hackles raised.
1: It's so much. But also, I love how her father and sisters are like crying and weeping and Feyre is like, get the fuck out of my house. Right. (laughs) She's like, get out of here. I don't want you here.
0: Also, when he's like, you have to come live in Prithian. She's like, live where? And Tamlin's like, I have lands. And that's all he says. (laughs) And I'm just like, this boy is pouting. He's like, she's not scared
1: enough of me. She's she's not respecting my power. I have lands. You don't know who you're talking to. And he's like, Lucian, she wasn't even scared of me. (laughs) Like a literal little Tam Tam tantrum. Ooh, I like that. Tam tam tantrum. This this bitch thought I wasn't a wasn't a landowner. <laughs> it's so funny. I also like Feyre's father is real fucking pathetic here. Like he really tries to barter for his daughter, and Tamlin's mm-hmm. like, "What w- is she worth to you?" And he's like, "I'm gonna sit back down." Mm-hmm. And it's like, "All right, thanks, Dad. You really are the fucking worst, aren't you?" He
0: he. He tried, he tried. He's like, "I will find a way to give you as much gold as you want. Leave my daughter alone." Tamlin's right. What what gold, first of all, is this man who who has depended on his ch- youngest child to yeah. provide for him for the last 5 years? What gold is he going to get?
1: And second of all, no gold. what gold could he get that would be something that a fairy would want? Nah, cuz we see later like the spring court, she's like, "Damn, my bedroom's bigger than my fucking cottage was." Yeah. Exactly. Sh- these curtains could feed my family for years
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just want to know what was Tamlin gonna do if Feyre decided <laughs> that instead of going to Frithian she wanted to die
1: <laughs> I feel like he would've like <laughs> stuttered he'd be like uh um I'm still gonna spare your life out of the kindness <laughs> of my heart
0: <laughs> cause he needs her he's like, like the whole thing her. The whole reason
1: Andres let himself be murdered—oh my god, yeah—is because they need Feyre. I feel like Tamlin literally; he probably like rehearsed this whole scene. I imagine him like at, in like his acting, like his actor's clothes, yes. his rehearsal I, clothes. I want to believe that he made Lucian play partner. the part <laughs> of scared human no. girl. No. Yes. <laughs> now this is something I would love to see. Just like Lucian doing his best scared human girl and Tamlin mm-hmm. being like, was that roar like intense enough or should I be adding a little bit more beef mm-hmm. to it? Like what was do you it? Think? Was it like, was it scary, but also kind of sexy? Yeah. Cause
0: like, we're or do to... I need to make it sexier?
1: <laughs> yeah. Cause or Lucian be like, all right, Tamlin, you are still trying to eventually like get her to fall in love. Right. Mm-hmm. So we need mm-hmm. to tone that down a little bit, be kind of hunky. And scary. Mm-hmm. All right. Go again. <laughs> 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 I also want to point out that Tamlin doesn't
0: believe that it was Feyre that killed yeah. Andres. This will not be the last time that he grossly underestimates her. You, He right. will
1: literally never learn what this woman is capable of. And it's funny because I have a quote in here later on. I'll actually get the full thing. But he literally was like, your family totally underestimated you. I don't. Like, so do you, bitch! Literally, I was like, this is the funniest shit, and I wrote down the quote exactly, because I was like, it's funny how in the next book, after she saves your ass, you suddenly underestimate her all mm-hmm. over again. Like, what yeah. the fuck, Tam Tam? Uh-huh. Jesus Christ. This man. This man's The cojones the- on this man. He's a walking tampon. He's the fucking worst. <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: uh oh, so in Prithian, Feyre lives, uh, you know, Tamlin brings her to his manor, which is a large, airy manor that's surrounded by lush gardens and woods. Mm-hmm. She learns that her captor is not a beast, but rather a high fey male named Tamlin. She meets his emissary in right hand, whose name is Lucian, who is another high fey, and both of them, as well as all of the staff of the manor and members of the spring court wear masks that cover the upper halves of their faces. Favor learns that this is because of a quote-unquote blight on Prithian. Something has
1: caused the magic to go wrong, and they've been stuck with the masks for 49 years. Something I want to note is when Feyre arrives to Prithian, and like, it, this is going to be a running theme real fucking quick, like, when she is impressed with, like, something in the fairy realm in Prithium. She, her senses get so overwhelmed, um, and she wants to paint everything. She has such a beautiful artist's brain, but she's like, I would never do this justice. And she does this for the rest of the novel and the next two novels. Well, actually, not in the last novel. She, like, it's really good self-confidence by then, but she's, like, constantly, like, underestimating her talents, probably because everybody else underestimates her she has a very poor sense of self-worth and she's been kind of beaten down her whole life and it's really sad to see and i'm like Feyre i bet you could paint it if you really wanted to like you go girl
0: also she also mentions that uh the smell of magic is faintly metallic yeah does everything just smell
1: metallic to her all of the time i'm wondering what prithia must smell like does she get like the roses and with a little like metally tang in her nose the whole time. Does, does Prithian smell the way that bad bubbler water tastes? Oh my god. That would be horrible. <laughs> I would certainly not want to live the rest of my days in that you, smell. You, you know what I'm talking about, I right? Do. I actually do. Like, when you take
0: a drink from a water fountain and it tastes like pennies. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's how I imagine Prithian smells. I bet it does with like a hint of roses. <laughs> what a lovely spring court scent. That's what the candle should be. We see some of Tamlin's true
0: self here in this dialogue. He hates Feyre, but he still pities her. Yeah, um, He talks about how, like, nothing could be worse than the hovel she lived in. Like, he, he pities her for the poverty that she lived within. Yeah. And it's like, okay, like, Tamlin's not the worst guy no. in the world, but, like, he's still not... Good. He's still no. an asshole.
1: Well, like one of we- the first things he does, like, is when she's asking too many questions on like the ride over, he literally puts her to sleep with magic because she's yeah.
0: Pissing she asked two questions, yeah, two two questions, and he's like, "You're annoying,"
1: and puts her to sleep. night. And I'm like, um, that's not nice. Tamlin is constantly like doing shit without her consent, even, mm-hmm. and it, I feel like this is a really great example of their power dynamic and how it doesn't really change throughout this novel. And even into the next one, once she is, like, strong and powerful, like, Tamlin always has to be, like, the alpha male. Mm-hmm. it's gross as fuck.
0: I also... There's a uh, line that Lucian says in this chapter where he says, I'm sure her life will be a fine replacement for Andras'. Maybe she can even train with the others on the border. And Lucian doesn't know it yet, but this line is very poignant. Mm-hmm. One, because Feyre becomes a wolf. Like, not
1: physically. Yeah, but like... But she becomes a wolf. Yeah, and like, and like spirit and personality.
0: <laughs> and two, he's making a joke here about her training. Yeah. And in the next book, Feyre literally begs Lucian to ask Tamlin to let her train. And it's just like, you're making a joke about it now, but it's always going to be a joke
1: to you y- people. And that's so fucking sad. Yeah. I like, also, this is just the beginning of Lucian having to play middleman between Feyre and Tamlin. Mm-hmm. Because... Tamlin is fucking terrifying and Feyre is scared to talk to him because he is always angry and like mm-hmm. high key the, the, the abusive behavior may I note and mm-hmm. so she's like alright Lucian this is what I want can you please go barter for me and every time Lucian's like I'll try and then he gets shut down because Tam Tam has a meltdown
0: Feyre also meets Alice at the end of this chapter mm-hmm. and Alice is the only person that she's able to have, like, a casual or, like, friendly kind of conversation with. Yeah. And that's telling because Alice is not High Fae. No. Alice is Lesser Fae. Yep. And it's significant that the only person that Feyre can really talk to is a servant, is yeah. someone of, quote-unquote, lesser blood. Yeah. Um, it shows the uh, difference in the power that she mm-hmm. wields versus the power that Tamlin and Lucian wield, and also just how low she is in yeah. this sort of, like, hierarchy. Right. She is so far below the people that she is eating dinner with every night.
1: Yeah, and she Alice is the only one who really gives Feyre advice in the beginning, mm-hmm. where she's like, keep your wits about you. Don't trust your senses. Also, give Lucian a run for his money. He could use someone snapping at him. So Feyre's main objective from a little bit of time now is basically getting back to her family. She doesn't believe Tamlin when he tells her that they are happy and comfortable, taken care of. She wants to get back. So she has a plan to isolate Lucian and see if he would be willing to go against Tamlin and let her go back to the human lands. Um, so she does this where she kind of corners him in the stables. They go on a hunt together. Um, and is not really great at being sneaky about it. Lucian kind of figures her out from the get-go, and he's like, I can't break this for you. Like, why'd you even bother asking me? Um, but then he does tell her about, like, different Fae, and she learns about the Surreal, which is a Fae that, if caught, will answer any question you ask them. Um, they then run into this, like, dark Fae creature called the bogey, where... Lucian tells Feyre to like look straight ahead and like do do not look at whatever it is. That's its whole objective. Um, is that's how it tries to kill you. And this is a little breadcrumb that we see with her eventual mating bond with resand Um, when she's trying to avoid looking at the bogey, she's imagining a uh, night sky sprawling endlessly. In this is one of many like night or starry like instances we get that like reference and go back to recent, eventually being her mate. Cute. So while Favor's
0: exploring the manor, she finds artwork on the walls, uh, one of which is a still life with a green glass face with an assortment of flowers drooping over its narrow top, blossoms of leaves of every shape and size and color, roses, tulips, morning glory, goldenrod, maiden's lace, peonies. And because I was an English major, I know <laughs> that when an author lists flowers, you gotta look that shit
1: Absolutely. Up. Oh, she also uh, does s- have a wisteria vine on her... Room she does. Window, and then not look like up a Wisteria. I can look at yes. Wisteria and lilac.
0: So roses mean romance, love, beauty, and courage. Tulips mean perfect and deep love. But then morning glories mean love, life, Ooh. and death, or love in vain. Um, Goldenrod means good luck. It stands for sanctuary, haven, refuge, protection, fantasy, and fertility. <laughs> and the peony is symbolic of love, honor, happiness, wealth, romance, and beauty. So lots of Ooh. like love flowers here, but then you also get some like the the maiden's lace is sanctuary, which she mm-hmm. is provided within the Spring Court. Yep. Goldenrod is good luck, which Lord knows she needs. Y- you're right. <laughs> morning glory is love life and death Ooh. and also love in vain Ooh! and then you get all these flowers that mean love
1: yeah um and i just think that's interesting i'm not gonna say anything beyond that yeah <laughs> the wisteria means also means romance in most cultures and then lilacs represent purity and innocence Hmm. which i think is really fucking interesting mm-hmm
0: fascinating
1: Sarah J Maas again authors do not be fucking around with the the Mm -mm. flowers that they list
0: Mm -mm. I also want to talk about that the fact that uh while she's at meals Tamlin piles her plate with food he hates her right now yes he he hates her and while he hates her he's piling her plate with food Mm -hmm. but when he loves her he's not noticing that she's not eating
1: Ooh. Oh, and another point when he's piling on food. And she's like, I can do this myself. And he's like, nah, it's an honor for a high fae to serve you. And she wants to eat more. He's like, bye-bye food. Once again, I'm just noting every single time Tamlin does something to favor without her consent. Mm-hmm. There's so many instances. Like, I've, i I know what, like, you have a bias when you first read this novel. Like, he's our first love interest that we are introduced to. Mm-hmm. So it's hard not to fall for it all. I certainly did the first time I read for it. I remember telling our friend who got me into the series, I was like, oh my god, Tamlin is so great. He's so romantic towards Pharaoh. And, and then I reread it, and I was like, okay, even without my biases... He- Man is a walking red flag that does the bare minimum and is constantly mm-hmm. giving a backhand compliment to this girl. hmm Like,
0: I oof. hate this man. Admittedly, <laughs> I was spoiled when I first went into this series. I knew that there was something going on with Rhysand. Yeah. And that the fandom hated Tamlin. Didn't know why yet, but I, <laughs> I knew that they did. And so I was looking for the red flags. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, (laughs) I also I want us to start taking note of when we hear about Tamlin's claws and when we (gasps) don't hear about Tamlin's claws because I have a theory that Tamlin's claws make appearances whenever he is especially emotional you're right which is a problem because it means that whenever he's emotional regardless of what the emotion is his tendency is toward violence Hmm. Ooh. Mm hmm.
1: I also, something t- to note is how fucking moody Tamlin gets when he sees Pharaoh and Lucian spending time with each other, which is what oh we're going to see God. in the last book. But that night at dinner. Tamlin is so, he's not even like passive aggressive, but he's like distantly no. cool and angry. Like you can tell he's fucking pissed off mm-hmm. um, at Feyre for refusing and also probably at Lucian for still going with her when he knows that she needs to fall in love with Tamlin. Um, he's like super moody and angry and the only thing to really heave him out of like basically a silent treatment um, towards Lucian and Feyre is Lucian telling him about the bogey. And Tamlin is still super angry when he goes to hunt it. And then I'm pretty sure Lucian then explains that, like, Tamlin gets into these moods sometimes and, like, kind of warns her about it, which, like, don't love. That's not great. We should not be warning her about his behavior. We should be, like, reprimanding his behavior.
0: (laughs) I'm distressed by this first passage because he is showing already so much jealousy and feelings of ownership over Feyre a girl that he literally hates he does not like her at all and hasn't spent enough time with her for his opinion to be changed Lucian is spending time with her (coughs) Lucian is is talking to her (laughs) yeah Lucian's opinion changing makes sense Feyre liking Lucian makes sense. They're actually spending time together. Tamlin isn't trying to.
1: And Lucian's giving her information that when she's asking for it, he's not giving her Mm -hmm. a cryptic answer like Tamlin always does. Like, girl wants to know stuff. Can you fucking blame her? Tamlin is showing up and being like,
0: want to spend time with me? It's all creepy. And then just staring at her like (laughs) a creep. Yeah. It's like, that's not how you ask a girl out. Well,
1: I'm he's <laughs> so used to being like, oh, he's high fae. He's high lord. He's so used to, like, fae women, like, falling over his feet because he's so powerful. But, like, Fared mm-hmm. at this point doesn't even know he's a high lord. How is she mm-hmm. going to be impressed with that? She doesn't fucking care. She doesn't like fairies.
0: hmm I just, I'm... Mm. Oh, yeah. I hate it. Like... I hate it. And then fe- she stays up waiting for him. Yeah, and doesn't I know. know. why She doesn't.
1: I don't fucking know why you do either, That's a great cue, girl. Oh, yeah, so I I found the passage, and she's like, Whatever tentative truce we built that afternoon vanished at the dinner table. Tamlin was lounging in his usual seat, a long claw out, encircling his goblet. It paused on the lip as soon as I entered, Lucian on my heels, his green eyes pinned me to the spot. And then everything, he's like, Lucian's like, oh, we went on a hunt, and Tamlin's like, I heard. And did you have fun? And, like, slowly his claws sank back into his flesh. Like, it's all these very clipped, angry sentences. And Mm -hmm. it's so fucking gross. Like, put forth effort to get to know Feyre. And don't get fucking jealous when
0: Lucian does. That night, through her window, Feyre sees a man that she recognizes as her father. She's running towards the open gate and towards her father when Tamlin intercepts her. Uh, and tells her, "Look again. It's not her dad. It's a it's a uh, like creature called a puka that uses your desires to lure you to death." Tamlin tells her that her family is safe and comfortable, and her promise to her mother is fulfilled. He's taking care of it. Chill the fuck out. Yeah. How am I, how is she supposed to chill the fuck out? First she of all, she
1: doesn't believe him. Like I think, I wish he realized that like him telling her that means fucking jack shit to her. She does not mm-hmm. trust him. At this point, Feyre still believes that fairies cannot lie. So she's like, well, he has to be telling the truth. But then she's like, well, I don't think he's going to provide for them forever. I have to get back at some point. Like, whatever they gave him not going to last. Like, she's very anxious about this. And I'm like, Tamlin, stop being a dickhead. Also- Tamlin says, if you're going to run away, at least do it in the
0: daytime, and then gets mad in the third book when
1: Feyre follows his advice and leaves him while the sun is up. (laughs) I hate this man. But like the next night when she like, when he comes in injured after like killing, I think it's killing the bogey or whatever, he kills Mm -hmm. some sort of creature and he's injured and... Fera is the one who like binds his wounds in the infirmary and it's like a little bonding moment where she's like I had to learn all this by myself and he's like I relate to that like yeah I have duty to uphold too like shut the fuck up Tamlin um and he tells her that she's not what he expected a human would be like and that's supposed to be like a cute compliment mm-hmm. <laughs> but I want to talk about that moment
0: a little bit yeah. more though because yes. that night is their first like little bonding moment for yeah. lack of a better term mm-hmm. and one she describes tamlin as being completely void of emotion yeah. and guess what don't guess what doesn't make an appearance the claws his claws um second of all just before pharaoh wakes up and finds tamlin she has that nightmare oh, yes. of skinning Andres in his high fae form and it's her first instance of recognizing the fae as beings that are like her in some way, not as these savage animals, um, and of how horrific her crime actually was. Oh. the The thing is that it's not spending time with Tamlin that gets her to that point of reflection; it's spending time with
1: Lucian. Yeah, Tamlin doesn't give her anything, but a no. little like a big moody baby. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, he is not... He doesn't talk to her like Lucian does. Also, like, she knows she can be snarky with Lucian, and he's just going to give it right back to her. It's Mm -hmm. not going to be a big deal. Like, with Tamlin, when she tries, like, talking back, like, he gets all controlly and weird, and it's really gross, and it frustrates her. And it's not insignificant to me that this scene where Tamlin
0: returns bloody happens just after her bloody dream of Andres where Ooh, she's finally yeah. recognizing the Fae as, you know... They can get not, injured and stuff. Not not humans, but yeah. you know what I mean. But like people when who can I say, get injured and stuff. Yeah, when I say that her dream humanizes the Fae, you know what I'm saying. I got you. She focuses a lot on the blood in this scene. Like, she she is constantly aware of it. She talks about it dripping onto the floor, She's constantly aware of the blood being there. Yep. And I'm convinced that it's because she can't escape her nightmare. She is still yeah. she woke up terrified from this nightmare, started wandering the halls to try to clear her head, and that's when she ran into Tamlin. Yep. She's still afraid from this nightmare. She's hyper fixated on the blood and is drawn to him because she cares about that dream. If she hadn't had that nightmare right beforehand, I don't know that she would have cared that he came home bloody. I don't think so I don't so think either. that this is her caring about him. I no. think this is just her being shaken and not wanting to be around blood, and so she decides to patch it up as if somehow it will right the horrific crime that she has real- yeah. just realized yeah. she committed.
1: Well, she feels so guilty, and a strong like running characteristic in Feyre is survivor's guilt. Like, it's half the mm-hmm. reason she's so pushy about going back to her family. Is because she feels immensely guilty for getting out of that um that cabin and that really poor dinky village and she's living in like a palace right now like eating delicious food she's like i and now she's like okay i hear the peoples who's who were that f- friends with that fairy i killed they're mm-hmm. letting me eat and dine and sleep in the same house as them i feel so guilty right now i need to do something mm-hmm. to Make myself feel better and feel like I'm making I'm making up to them too. Feyre also the next morning overhears
0: her first conversation between Tamlin yeah, and the Yeah, she and does. Ocean. And we learn later that they've been hoping she would eavesdrop yeah. on them. And so I'm just wondering, was this fight that they're having staged? I hope
1: it was.
0: And why didn't we get to see them figuring out how to do it? Because I really I hope it was staged and I really hope they had a whole planning session of like, I okay, so. now when we hear her when we hear her bedroom door open, then you're going to call me a- an idiot, okay? Yeah. And then I'm going to attack your morals. Yeah. And then... Okay, and then you're going to say that I have a heart of stone, okay? Yes, Say make sure you mention
1: the heart of stone. It's very important that we mention the heart of stone these days. Mm -hmm.
0: Emphasize it if you can, but make it natural. Make it natural, Lucy.
1: (laughs) It's true, because Lucian is like... Tamlin, you're wasting your time sulking around the house. Like, what's the Mm -hmm. whole point of Andres dying over this? And Tamlin's like, you don't think I'm concerned about this? God, Lucian, I'm working on it. It's like, (laughs) oh, even though you have a heart of stone, you're very soft these days considering there's a bogey on our lands. And it's like, ah, the nerve. I I just have to imagine they stop immediately
0: when she enters, and then later they meet and they're like, that went well, right? Yeah, Yeah, I think that was...
1: she picked up she believed it she believed it was a
0: real fight yeah you think she picked up on it she's putting the clues together right
1: yeah i know she's
0: illiterate but she's not dumb
1: (laughs) (laughs) i know she's illiterate but she's not dumb Well, and then
0: she tries to deal with her illiteracy because she wants to send a letter to her sisters, right? And so she goes and she's studying in the study, which is more like a library, trying to learn how to read. Yeah. Tamlin comes in and offers to help her. She takes that as an insult and they get in a fight. And Tamlin throws the you're not what I expected for a human line back back in her her face. face. I was going to
1: say something about that.
0: Yeah. I think that it's interesting because it's literally true. And he emphasizes mm-hmm. the word human in this situation is italicized. Yeah. SJM italicizes the word human. And I'm convinced that it's because he, he so he, he made this this threat against Amarantha. Mm-hmm. Not, threat isn't the right word, but he was like, I'd rather, you know, fall in love with and marry, and spend eternity with a human it's like- rather than you. And so it's like, yeah, Pharaoh absolutely was not what he expected oh, yeah. a human to be he expected for a human to come into here and just immediately fall all over themselves oh, in yeah. front of him and for this to be so easy Lucian even hints at it when he first meets Feyre and he starts being like are we really that bad to look Don't you at find like, aren't, handsome? We handsome? aren't we attractive and she's like and, y'all are vain as fuck shut up yeah and so he Feyre literally is not what Tamlin was expecting a human to be. He thought this was going to be so much easier.
1: He was expecting, like, an Elaine. Like, if Elaine- I always- I'm wondering now, I'm like, what if it had been, like, you know, like, Elaine or Nesta who had gone in Feyre's place? Like, I wonder how this would have played out differently. Like, Elaine would have fucking broken the curse, probably, if I'm being honest. (laughs) Elaine would have- Falling in love no. with Tamlin, yeah, yeah. Elaine would have hit him in the he- face with a gardening shovel. This might be fair. I you mean, can... she would love gardening in the Spring Court. She would take in a trowel straight to that face. <laughs> this is fair. <laughs> Feyre then gets Lucian's advice as to how to catch a cereal, and then she sets out for it. She's looking for any sort of loophole in the treaty that would get her out of being in Prithian. She catches the surreal and he tells her that there's no way out, and to stick with the High Lord... This is a running thing. Feyre is going to take this as her gospel for the rest of the novel. Mm -hmm. This is where she finds out that Tamlin is High Lord, and then they get intercepted by the Naga. First thing Feyre does is release the snare she had trapping the Suriel. That is what she does Mm -hmm. with her very first arrow. Um, That's going to come back later. And then she shoots one of the naga, kills one, and she takes off in a sprint, hoping to outrun them. They they catch her, taunt her, she stabs another one, and then Tamlin comes in to save Feyre. He literally shreds these naga... In front of Feyre, and she's marveling at his strength. Like, this is fucking porn for Feyre. She loves a strong man. Oh, she, she thinks it's so hot. She does. She's like, High Lord is running through her head the whole time. <laughs> and she's like, mm-hmm. he shredded them. It's like, oh He's hot. also shredded. Ooh. <laughs> look at that
0: bod. <laughs> ow, ow. So <laughs> I, have a, I have a few things to say about this whole this whole brief yeah. S- ch- section that you just summarized yes. that is actually, like, three chapters, okay? Yes. <laughs> so, first things first, she she makes a comment in her narration that Lucian c- seemed convinced that she would turn spy the moment she could. Lucian's not wrong. No. She's going to. She eventually Two does. books down the line. Yeah. Yeah. Also, when she goes to Lucian's room to talk to him about the Surreal, she specifically makes a comment about his long red hair being unbound. Is it not usually... Is it usually bound? Is and how in, does like, Lucy wear his hair? Does, does he, he do wear it in braid? a braid? I
1: hope he does Is a it brain. a
0: ponytail? Does he wear, do like a half up man bun? Because oh, here's the thing, you know. That'd be cute. Of the men that have long hair in this series, we know it's just Fannin that Cassian's a man bun guy. Oh, for sure. There's no other way for him to wear his hair. If yes. any of them were going to be ponytail bitches, it'd be Tamlin. I'm convinced if uh, Lucian ties up his hair it's either in a braid or he does like a half up half da- yeah. down man bun thing but he
1: looks like Legolas, but with red hair yeah that's kind of the, that's <laughs> kind of what i imagined his hair as i was like he's the ginger Legolas, if you will mm-hmm. he's giving mm-hmm. elf pharaoh
0: also eats an apple while she's in the woods yeah <laughs> i i kind of hate that or she I talks about like having brought an apple with her and i hate it because she lives in the Spring Court, apples yeah. don't bloom in spring. Oh,
1: they're a fall fruit, you dumb bitch. They're a
0: fall fruit. So why why do the courts not have seasonal fruits? That bothers me. Like obviously me. It's they magic, import and but... export. You know, ob- obviously they can get apples from the Autumn Court whenever they want, right? But like, it still bothers me.
1: Yeah, it bothers me. <laughs> First of all, this is, like, the first time that Tamlin doesn't question Pharaoh what she's doing in the woods. He's like, let's just go home. And she's like, sweet, I don't want to talk about this. But then later Mm. night at dinner, she, like, admits that she caught a surreal. And this is where I want to note. This is where Tamlin is talking to her about wondering if her family even realizes how much Pharaoh loves them and what she would do for them. He says that he could help her write the letter of warning to them, and she is embarrassed again and thinks he's insulting her. Um, She says she doesn't need his help, and he then says, Clearly not, he said with half a smile, but then the smile faded. A human who can take down a fairy in a wolf's skin, who ensnared a Surial and killed two Naga on her own. They're fools. Fools for not seeing it. Page 143. And it's funny how he's going to spend the rest of the novel and the next two books continuously underestimating her, even though right here he's like, They don't see it. Speaking of the estimation of Feyre,
0: I want to point out that it took this for Tamlin to stop underestimating her or at least seem like he stopped. She makes a comment when she meets the Surreal. She says, quote, Lucian had definitely overestimated my abilities. I don't think Lucian did. Lucian wants you dead. Yeah. But at least Lucian is estimating your abilities. Yeah. Like, he knows that you're at least competent. He's not forgetting the fact that, that you killed, killed Andrus. Yeah. I know Andrus went as a lamb to slaughter and yeah. was willing to die and didn't try to protect himself. But still, Lucian's at least like, Feyre's competent. Clearly she is. Tamlin seems to forget that constantly. He until he's like, oh, you did this life-threatening thing that I would have prevented you from doing. I guess you're yeah. not. The worst.
1: Literally. Like, I give him too much credit for being like, wow, they really don't realize, like, how special you are. You're not like other girls, Feyre. You're special. And it's gross. I I hate this man. (laughs) And then he finally tells her that her family knows she's safe and that they don't have a memory of a beast bursting through their cottage. They know about the potential threat. Um, So Feyre's like, shit. Who am I without my survivor's guilt? I guess I could finally paint. Mm-hmm. And so Tamlin orders her painting supplies. And this is like like the second flicker of romance between them two. Like we're getting more of the, the vibes going back and forth.
0: So that's as far as we're going to go in terms of plot for this time. She caught the Surreal. They fought off the Naga. Her yes. family is safe, well care- cared for, and knows that she's safe. We're going to talk a little bit about themes that we we saw in just these first this first section that uh, we will continue to keep an eye out for as we move forward. The first of which is a toxic family dynamic. Alyssa, do you want to talk about yeah, this one a little bit?
1: Let's go. As we saw in like the first couple of chapters, Feyre does not have the best relationship with her two sisters, Nesta and Elaine. Like she kind of likes elaine i think she's indifferent towards elaine like she doesn't dote on elaine the same way nesta and their father do but she's Mm -hmm. like elaine's fucking oblivious she (laughs) underestimates elaine
0: the same way that she feels underestimated by tamlin
1: this is true this is very true um she resents them for leaving her to be the sole provider of the family and not even like, attempting to help her with the hunting or bartering in the marketplace. They just take the money from her. Like, has had a bad life. They've all had a bad life, I think. And she ultimately, like we said earlier, like, has to be maybe not the unselfish one in her family, but she has to think of her family as a unit before she thinks of herself as, like, the singular person. Nesta is cruel to Feyre because she and Feyre are pretty much the same person, and Nesta lashes out at that and will insult Feyre, knowing how much her words hurt. Uh, Nesta only really shows emotion or a nice affection to Elaine, and even when we don't have Nesta, like, in, in, like, the texts in Prithian, Feyre is still, like, hearing her voice in her head every single time Tamlin calls her insignificant or, like, unimportant. Mm -hmm. She hears Nesta's voice in her brain talking down to her. Now, it just leads to, like, Feyre having a really bad confidence in herself and her abilities to do things
0: to that point it's worth noting that nesta and fayra both see the worst parts of their mother in each other yep uh the way that nesta treats fayra fayra sees the neglect that she received from her mother her mother never really cared about her never really did anything to help her essentially it was just like fayra's whatever yeah and so well, that's how Nesta tre- treats Pharaoh, or at least how Pharaoh perceives her treatment from her sister. Mm-hmm. And so that hurts Pharaoh. But then Nesta looks at the way that Pharaoh is treating her. Yeah. And is like, you just want to marry me and Elaine off so you can have this perfect little life, which was exactly what their, their mother, mother was wanted. raising Nesta to be. Yeah. Nesta was raised to be married off. And so the two of them look at each other and just see hatred for their mother and are aiming it at each other instead. Further accented by the fact that Feyre comments repeatedly on the fact that they both look like their mom. Nesta looks just like their mom and Feyre looks like Nesta.
1: Yep. Like she doesn't even, she grimaces at her reflection in the mirror when Alice is braiding her hair because she looks and she sees... Not her eyes, she's like, Nesta's eyes, our mother's eyes, staring back at me. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't even want to look them, at them at all. She's like, I don't want to look at Nesta's eyes, like, judging me from here. I
0: also want to, within this theme of a toxic family dynamic, talk about Tamlin and Lucian. Yes. And how unhealthy their relationship is. We learn later that Tamlin no longer has living family. Yeah. They were all killed. Uh, we learn in Mist and Fury that they were killed by Reese. But Lucian also doesn't have family. He was yeah. uh, outcast by his family. He ran away from home because his family literally tried to murder him. Yeah. And so for each other, for these two orphans... They are each other's family, and it's a toxic-ass family dynamic, and we we see that from moment one, because the thing is that Tamlin would like the world to believe that he and Lucian are best buddies, and he respects Lucian, but he is not afraid to pull rank whenever he wants to as High Lord. Oh, yeah. Um, Lucian is constantly trying to either talk Tamlin down or talk Feyre into just not upsetting Tamlin. Which mm-hmm. reeks of victim uh victim behavior. Yep. Not not in like him pretending to be a victim, but where he has actually been a victim of some very toxic and uh abusive behaviors from Tamlin. Yep. <clears throat> Tamlin expects Lucian to do everything for him. Lucian fucking lost an eyeball trying to serve Tamlin and I'm not convinced that for Lucian it doesn't come from a place of genuine respect and adoration. I think Lucian genuinely loves Tamlin and genuinely cares for him. I don't think that Tamlin gives Lucian the love and respect he deserves. Yeah. I think that Tamlin sees Lucian as a fixture in his court with a job and a responsibility before he sees Lucian as his friend. Yep. And... That's really heartbreaking yeah. to me. And he also just doesn't trust Lucian. No, like he doesn't. So clear. He doesn't trust Lucian with Feyre. He no. doesn't. At the beginning of this story, before he and Feyre fall in love, he's convinced that Lucian's trying to steal her from him as if Lucian doesn't understand what they're up against. As Literally. As Lucian didn't watch his friend willingly go out past the wall to die and isn't also grieving that friend yep and then in the third book he does the same thing he doesn't trust Lucian he thinks that Lucian is trying to get with Feyre again Mm -hmm. and it's like this man has stood by your side through absolutely everything has defended you with every breath he has yep. went on a mission to bring Feyre back to you after she left of her own accord yep and you do not trust him it's ridiculous He's and we'll continue painful. to explore we'll continue to explore this theme of toxic family dynamics as yeah. we move forward and we'll also compare those family dynamics to healthier family dynamics yes. that we see throughout the series another theme that we will be exploring as we move forward is Feyre's lack of self-identity and where we see a shift towards that um, no longer being true, where we see her start to have a sense of self.
1: Yeah. I find that Feyre is often regressing. Like, she has a true artist's mind, She notices paint, like, color and light and shapes and how they play off of each other. But she's always, like, pushing it to the back in lieu of, like, the survival instincts that have been most important to her for her entire life and the role she's had to serve for her family. So she's, like, her dream is to live in the cottage alone with her father and painting. Like, that's literally all she wants, is to be able to have a hobby and free time where she can do what she wants to do and not force herself into another box. Mm-hmm. Um, like, but again, she doesn't really have a true sense of self. The only sort of hobby that she longs for is to paint. And she's denied herself this hobby for so long that's not even fully embedded into her personality. Which is why, like, after Tamlin and Farah's argument, she's like, I'm gonna go... A hunt the surreal now, because I don't know what else to do with my emotions or how to process my feelings, so let's go hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's also constantly underestimated by the people around her, or called, like, a half-wild beast by Nesta, so she's like, okay, I think I have talents, and she, like, believes in herself a little bit, and then someone's like, you're insignificant, and she's like, I am insignificant. I don't mean anything Mm -hmm. and I feel really bad for her and I know this is like a direct result of her trauma from like her mother and her father she was never the favorite child out of either of them and this kind of toxic family dynamic in her household where she's the sole provider so like I think it's interesting where when we do see this shift in Feyre when she does finally start Allowing herself hobbies and other interests, and allowing that huntress to kind of go to the back of her head.
0: Do we want to talk very briefly about favorite characters? Because I know
1: your favorite character has not shown up yet, but mine has. We can talk. I still do. Like I still, I have like a favorite other characters. Like I like Feyre Mm -hmm. and Lucian. I think they're great characters. Lucian is my favorite, and I love him.
0: (laughs) I love that man. We love Lucy. I also love the Surreal. Ah, uh, king shit. There are Etsy sellers who make sweatshirts that say Surreal Tea Company.
1: Oh, I, need I one. Oh, I love
0: those. If you get me for Secret Santa this year, that's what I, I want. Know. I already knew. But anyway, we'll continue to talk about how much yeah. I adore Lucian and the wonderful ways of the Surreal as we move forward yes. in the series because things only get better You're right. here. I love them. In yeah. the meantime, Alyssa... <gasps> Should we do some zillennial quiz taking? Yes, I'm so excited for this one. Okay, so we're taking a Quotev quiz called Which Archer and Sister Are You? It's by the user Medusa. We'll post it in the episode description, same as always. And this quiz, I'll give you a fair warning, is probably going to be a little spoilery. We continue to get a lot of character development for... Elaine, and especially for Nesta as the series goes on. Nesta gets her own book. The fifth book is Nesta's book. And so if you take this quiz, but you haven't read beyond the first book or beyond the original trilogy, this might not be the quiz for you. No. Might not make a lot of sense. But we met the Archeron sisters today, and I want us to know which one we are. I'm so curious. I'm, I, know. I think w- w- one of us is going to end up being Nesta. Yeah. I think there's also a possibility <clears throat> of us being Feyre. I, can I see that will too. will be surprised if we are Elaine.
1: I would be too because out of the sisters, I identify with Feyre and Nesta the most. Mm-hmm. And through rereading it, I've seen more of myself in Feyre than I care to. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll find, find out. out. We'll, see, we'll see what this
0: quiz has to say to us yes all right y'all we'll see you on the other side
1: Still
0: rising. Ooh, Ooh, fascinating this checks out okay 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 um okay so did we both get Feyre yes this quiz is amazing it also gives her Hogwarts house I love the Myers-Briggs that. and character her- alignment I love this so um Fayra is classified by this quiz author as a Ravenclaw, yeah, in is. ISFJ, okay, and she's described as neutral good on the alignment chart. This checks out. Fayra Archeron is the youngest sister out of three. She was the breadwinner for her family, making sure everyone was fed and clothed, even if it cost something from herself. And then it gives us, oh my goodness, it Ooh, gives us a full thing. This so is it gives amazing. us amazing. Yes, her key traits are hardworking and dedicated, artistic and creative, kind and caring. She's con- incredibly compassionate and understanding. She wants everyone to get along and is usually the peacemaker. Open-minded, she brings a lot of new ideas and is a breath of fresh air. And she is has an unwavering loyalty to those who have earned her trust and hatred towards those who have broken it. Yeah. Also, also known as favorite curse breaker, defender of the rainbow, favorite cauldron blessed, stars eternal. Favorite Darling, Princess of Carrion, Sweet noth- sweet Tongued Liar, and Lady of Many Faces. Yes. She was born on December 21st, and her powers include darkness manipulation, ice manipulation, water manipulation, air manipulation, fire manipulation, light generation, shape-shifting, flight via wings, healing abilities, dementi abilities, winnowing, and glamoring. Amazing. This bitch. This She's OP. Fabulous. I was obsessed with this quiz. It's I, so good, I you guys. I to see the
1: other characters. Alyssa, where can <laughs> they find our podcast? You can find our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts if you and SoundCloud. And if you listen to your podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, subscribe and give us a five-star rating because we want people to find us.
0: Find us on social media at T-Squee on Instagram and Twitter. And if you have longer thoughts, you can always send them to our email, T-Squee at gmail.com. That's T, the letter and Squee at uh, This This week, you don't have to worry about sending us anything, no. honestly, because uh, we're going to be really busy trying to finish the rest <laughs> of this series.
1: True. <laughs> like... The first book's going to be in three chunks, y'all. We got our work cut this, out for us.
0: We only got through, what what page did we end on? We oh. ended on maybe page, like, 170, yeah. maybe. And this book's and the shortest out of the whole book. This book's the shortest out of all of them, and we have been recording for an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah. So.
1: So, we got rip-a-roony. stuff to do. But it's, yeah, fine.
0: So, <laughs> we're going to go do that stuff. Yeah. Y'all stay hot. Stay hydrated. Yes. Yeah. And we'll see See you next next time. time. Woo woo. Bye. Bye.